Good morning. morning. Rejoice. Feel almost out of place. We have family here for Christmas, and it seemed like we should be giving a Christmas message this morning. We've been singing some carols, but we're planning to continue on with Philippians 3, and we've been going through the book of Philippians some, and it's, that's the, the next chapter that we plan to, to read into. And also clarify to somebody, we do have a visiting minister here I tried to prevail on. I'll just kind of clear myself of that. I, I tried, but he would not be prevailed on. So that's why I, you have to put up with me. Again, sorry. It's not, not too often that a sermon begins with the statement, finally. The minister says, finally, or in conclusion. In fact, some have shared that when a minister says those words, finally, or in conclusion, mark that spot, he's probably about halfway through. <laughs> but as we've read through Philippians... We find in, in chapter 3, it begins with finally, and the, the actual term used is more in regards to as for the rest, or to emphasize, or to punctuate what is about to be shared with, with the Philippian people, or with whoever is stating this, as for the rest. Uh, we back up a little bit, we left off in chapter 2, Paul left the example of Epaphroditus, who was the one who carried this letter from Paul's prison cell back to Philippi. He hand-carried this letter, and it was read at Philippi. It became the sovereign word of God. It became a blessing to us today, many years later. But he, he lifted him up and wanted to honor Epaphroditus by his example, to hold him in such reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. In a sense, his, he was willing for his life to be swallowed up with the will of God, with the cause of Christ, Epaphroditus was. He got sick on this journey and did literally almost die. And Paul was praising God that he survived and they could avoid that tragedy. We're going to go ahead and read through um, chapter 3. And since it's kind of a long chapter, let's stand as we read it. I was, I'm afraid people will fall asleep. So let's stand as I read Philippians 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus." Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as to as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. You may be seated now. And finally, or as for the rest, or with punctuation, he starts out this chapter with the word rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And as I thought about that, rejoicing in the Lord is not, is not rejoicing in our circumstances or situations of life that we find ourselves in or looking to them, those things are fleeting and changing. Our circumstances change. They can be hard, bad, easy, good. Sometimes there's just as much trouble in when things are good as there is when things are hard, because in the valleys are where we grow. But Paul encourages to rejoice in the Lord and to look to Him. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. We're called to trust. And the thought of rejoicing is repeated again in the fourth chapter, so we'll get to it again as we go through Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. We're called to look outside of ourselves in this rejoicing. Not within, but, but outside. We just shared the awe of God and the value of that and the tremendous loss if we lose that. Loss for us, Sure but especially for following generations. If the awe of God is not taught or consuming us, our spirits and our souls, it's a dangerous thing. To me, to, to write these things, Paul says, it's not grievous or monotonous, but for you it is safe. And I think a lot of what, what Paul is trying to share here, I had a psychology class that taught us the acronym of KISS, K-I-S-S, and it meant keep it simple, silly, <laughs> and basically don't overcomplicate things. And that is what Paul is going to get into with the Philippians, to not overcomplicate things. He's, he's warning them here, and it's interesting to me how this, this second verse, as we get into it, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. He's speaking of, of Judaizers or, or Hebrews who are trying to bring about the fullness of the Jewish law to Christianity. And he's writing this not to the Hebrews, he's writing it to the Philippians. Philippi is a Roman province. It's a place, it was one of the first church plants outside of, of the Holy Land area. And he's warning them to beware of those. The Word, the Bible, is our theological and moral safeguard. We, are, we do well to remind ourselves of its truths and to be transformed by the renewing of our minds because of the Bible, by its word. But before these warnings, he starts with the word rejoice, and then he calls to alertness. Be awake and alert. Again, Paul did not write this to the Hebrews, but to Philippi. 
Beware of, of dogs, and that's just a very derogatory term. And in fact, it's the turning the tables because the Jews would use this term to Gentiles often as dogs. They're just dogs. They don't have the, the knowledge of God, and that was a derogatory term. So for that to be used against them would have probably ruffled some feathers. In fact, did. It was a term of contempt, but here's a turned around on them. And if we think about what Paul is trying to get to, you think of dogs running wild in a pack. They often will quarrel among themselves and attack passers-by, and they feed down the filth of the streets. Hounds which traveled about in the eastern cities, why were they in a pack? No home and no owner. No home and no owner. Try telling that to a Jew. And that was a, that was a problem in the early church. We have Abraham as our father. That was a problem. But here, Paul is essentially saying they're not spiritual children of God if they're not coming by the way of Christ. And he has to warn the church that's established about this. The way of Christ, the way of the cross leads home. We read through this and we might think, well, I, I know someone or some people or something that maybe have this issue, but the word is to be taken to ourselves, to be taken to heart, to beware. Paul doesn't say point out. Paul says beware. Be alert within yourself. Legalism is a real thing. Its fruit can hide impure and unclean things of our heart. It can lead to quarrelsome and, and contentious spirits within us. Evil workers are those who approach Christianity backwards with the thought of what you do wins you. It is of works. Well, James shares a lot about works and how they walk hand in hand with faith. And they're valuable and needed. Are works a prerequisite of or a result of faith? And I believe that's where the rubber meets the road and what Paul's trying to get to here in his warning. There was a teaching, and I believe we're 11 years removed from a council that happened in Jerusalem when this letter is being written. And it was basically the, the same conflict. The Jews who came to Christ were trying to, to basically make new converts Jews first and then, then Christians. And Paul and Peter and many of the disciples were saying that's, that's backwards. They come to Christ and then the fullness is, is given them by the Holy Spirit. Peter shared in Acts, it's found in Acts 15. We're not going to go there, but you could look there. Peter stated in, in this council in Jerusalem with a lot of tension probably going on, that God's approval was shown by the Holy Spirit to the new converts, to the Gentiles. It was, it was Peter that received the vision of the net being let, let down and all things are now um, available in the sense that the gospel is for all, not just for the Jews. And Peter says, I was the one that sort of, by this vision, was called to open up this door to the Gentiles, and God showed his approval of their conversion by the sending of his Holy Spirit. And I thought about how, how important the Old Testament really is to believers. As a lot was shared already from Hosea this morning, and, and God has preserved that for us. And the problem was that Many of the Jewish Christians at this time were, were getting things backwards and trying to lead people to Judaism first and then to Christianity. And Paul says that's, that's wrong and it's complicating, complicating the walk with Christ. I don't, do not wish also to, to confuse the thought of, of doctrine. We think about 
a prerequisite or a result of, works being one of the two. Doctrine is defined as a set of beliefs held to and taught by a church, political party, or other group. And 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about, I'll have to go ahead and turn there just a couple of verses, you don't need to. Scripture being profitable unto doctrine. <clears throat> My bookmark fell down to the pages. Here we go. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So yes, it's valuable that the Word of God furnishes us to good works for His kingdom's sake. We, a little was shared about forgiveness. Forgiveness can be viewed as, as a doctrine of Christ, something that is necessary for our walk with Him. But here there's a warning of, of the legalistic way and, and the dangers that are found with it. He even speaks of the concision, and concision is more of a term used for pagan practices, pagan sacrifices. Go tell that to a Jew. That's basically what Paul's doing here. What you're doing is essentially similar to paganism now because there's, there's a fullness of everything that has come through Christ to be accepted and walked in and lived for probably wouldn't have gone over very well. And it's interesting that he finds a need to warn the Philippians about this. But he says, we are of the circumcision, meaning of the heart, spiritual, a change that impacts the, the soul and in turn can impact the world around us. A change of heart. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is quick and powerful Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrows, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the spiritual circumcision that Paul is referring to, of the heart, that we have the blessing of being a part in. And he shares no confidence in the flesh, and that means what it says. Flesh cannot be trusted, but the Holy Spirit of God can be. Let's not trust our flesh. Let's trust the Spirit by His Word to influence us, to lead us to Christ the proper way. That is His challenge to the Philippian brothers here in this, in this letter. And Paul's saying about those who are trusting in the flesh, said, if this was a race, I would win. I would be first. And he's not really boasting because he's taking that prize and throwing it under the bus here a little bit later. But he shares a lot of his pedigree and, and what it is. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, not a Hellenistic Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, meaning the tip of the point of the spear. If you're a Hebrew, people just, if he would come into a synagogue and say, this is who I am, he would have everybody's attention right away because it was valued so highly. He says, I have all this. In a sense, I would win this race of legality, of being a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, but these things that are gained to me, I count as a loss for Christ. He counts them as a loss for Christ. How can that apply to us? We may have Christian parents, Christian upbringing, good church affiliation, goodness, good reputation, credentials, on and on, accomplishments. Go ahead and name it. But our salvation is not earned. It's a free gift given. 
Someone shared that there was a minister once that went to the pearly gates and stood before, as the scene is Peter, I'm not sure if that's actually how it is or not, but he was asking what he could do to get in. He said, well, I was a minister for 47 years. He said, well, it'll take 100 points to get in. I was a minister for 47 years. He said, okay, there's, there's one point. Wait, what? That, that's it? So you've got to come up with 99 more. So while I, I was involved in this service work, I did this youth program. I was well-liked. So, well, there's a point. There's a point. You got about four or five, and he was already exhausted. He said something about, well, I, I believe in the grace of God. He said, ah, oh, the grace of God. There's the remaining 97, 96 points. You can come in. That's a joke, but that's kind of how it is. That, that is the way it is. If, if we rely on anything of our own works, it will never measure up to enough. It's never enough. The grace of God is what is necessary, and it is the path, the way to Christ. The way to heaven is through Christ. As Paul shared about this, he was not boasting, but proving a point. It is said the Old Testament was a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. And as we read through all of Paul's pedigree, and we get to verse 8, he speaks about its value, I count all things but dung, but that I might win Christ. In a sense, it's not only cumbersome, not only something to be let go of, but it can be, it's offensive also. It could be offensive. That's not the point. And by the way, the eighth day, circumcised on the eighth day, just for the thought of the awe of God here and His goodness toward us. Why the eighth day? The medical world has shared, I believe it was Brother Brant Jamison shared this that I first learned it, that Vitamin K enters the bloodstream after birth, eight days after birth, and blood will clot better. That's why it was the eighth day. Today, they give a vitamin K shot when the circumcision is done. Uh, just something about God and how He works. He had a purpose to why He would ask certain things of His people. He had a reason. So when we think about our need of works following after the doctrines that we, we desire from the Word, God has a purpose in what He asks of us. And it's valuable to view it that way, not just a cumbersome funk. Here's a heavy weight, carry this, oh, and this too, oh, and this too. And that's what happens with the Judaistic um, involvement in the Christian church in the early church days. That was what, what happened, and it was troublesome, it was wrong. But we can see the value of, of what Christ asks. It's more the pursuit after Christ rather than the coming to by the way of, of the way of works. Christianity soon becomes ugly when our works lead, but beautiful when our works follow after Christ. To be doing things for Christ. To be doing things because of Him. That's a beautiful walk with Christ. But if our works are first, and, it's be, and I'm, we're trying to obtain salvation through the, our own goodness, it can become a very ugly thing. We think of the pedigree of Paul's life. Where did it lead to? As we, he explained all this in verses 4 through 6, what was he doing before he came to the light? He was persecuting the church. He was trying to stamp out. He was pressing against, seeking to destroy something that was being built up. Then where did his conversion lead him to? He sat in silence for a few days, blind, after he was blinded on the road to Damascus by the light. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Ananias came and explained to him a little more about what the truth was. Then what did he do? Then he sought to win, to build up, and chose to suffer himself so that others might experience gain. You see the change? There was a change, wasn't there? So the path of 
of the legalism that he was following after with, with the Jewish, Jewish law led to dis destruction. The path of Christ led to life. And Paul so wants others to, to experience and see that and know that and not be persuaded any other way, not be tripped up or deceived. Verse 10, he shares what he wants, that he may win Christ, to be found in him in verse 9, not having my own righteousness. It was shared a few weeks back also that righteousness doesn't come from us, just like love doesn't come from us. It comes from God. He is the source of it. Righteousness comes from our Lord. Let us be in awe of that and understand that. Not having my own righteousness, which is the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. The marks upon the Christian are that of crucifixion and resurrection both. We are crucified with Christ, that not I live, but Christ lives in me. Romans 6, that's what I was looking for. Romans 6 cautions against continuing in sin that grace may abound. But verse 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So the marks of the crucifixion are upon the Christian, the old man, the old way, the old desires, the flesh. And the Spirit lives in resurrected power. The power that raised Christ up from the dead, Romans says, is within us, is within our heart. The power of the resurrection is given. <laughs> Psalm 107, 21 through 22 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. The sacrifices of thanksgiving. Is that a sacrifice to be thankful? That struck me as I read through that verse. So you see, Christianity really is life and death. It really is. To be a living example for Christ, a living sacrifice for Him. That we testify of His work upon the earth for the kingdom eternal that started here and carries forward unto heaven. Verse 12 talks about following after Christ, following after Him. In order to apprehend that which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. And the word apprehend is, is more the, the grabbing. We talked earlier in Sunday school about gripping or clinging or holding to. And Jesus said, don't yet, I have more work to do. Here, we're called to. And Paul says, apprehend. The thought was actually presented more of a, of a football player tackling and bringing down to the earth. Really, really getting a hold of was the thought that was behind it, to apprehend, to be apprehended of that which I also am apprehended of in Christ Jesus. He has apprehended me, has he? That's what Paul is saying. Has he apprehended our hearts, gripped, grabbed, taken down to, the, to his possession entirely? To be apprehended by him is to be conformed into his image, become perfect in him, that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead, and spend eternity with Him. We think of being made perfect in Him, and that can almost sound like kind of a challenge that's impossible. Who's perfect? I'm not. Is anyone perfect? But someone shared a while back the thought of, of perfection 
And they brought an example of an old chair and set it up in front of, of the congregation that was gathered there. And it was old, weathered, worn, and it creaked a little bit. And they said, is this, is this chair perfect? Well, no, it's not. It's used and it's kind of worn out. It it's marred, it's scuffed. But it says, if you set it down and then sit down on it, is it fulfilling its purpose perfectly? Yes, it was. You were able to sit on the chair. And it did what it was needed to do. To being perfect in Christ, I believe that's kind of an example that, is, that we can gain from. To fulfill our purpose in Christ perfectly, though we are imperfect. Does that make sense? To fulfill our purpose in Christ perfectly. To be made perfect in Him, not in ourselves. The call of Christ is a forward, not a backward call. Following after that, which I have apprehended of. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before. A forward and upward call in Christ. Pressing toward the mark. Paul talks about pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I think about when we used to work ground before GPS days in the good old days, like in the 90s, you know, a long time ago. You'd have to, when you turn out the end of the field, you have to look across the field and find a point and focus on it. And my dad would probably share I wasn't always the best at it. I would get distracted and we'd have curves in our field and the rows. Today you learn, you just rely on GPS, push a button, and you're on straight. And if everything's working right, that's nice. But in the good old days, you had to actually drive and focus on a point. The thought is that if, if you focus on that point, you drive straight toward it. If you're looking back over your shoulder, worried about your implement, you tend to turn. At least I certainly did. Rearview mirrors are vital for glancing into, but not for, for driving through. In a sense, we can focus on the carnage or the conquest of our past and be destroyed by, the, by trauma or puffed up by some good things we maybe did, and we're looking behind we're not looking ahead unto Christ. And that struck home with me. That's very, very true to us. We tend to, to drive looking in the rearview mirror rather than looking forward to the high call of Christ and yielding unto Him. Perfect in purpose for Him. It says, God shall reveal. God shall reveal even this unto you. What a blessing it is. If we follow after Him, God reveals, it says, if anything, if in anything you be otherwise minded, God will reveal it to us. God will reveal it. What a blessing. If, if there's a part of our life that is not in tune with, with God or with Christ or in harmony with his word, in harmony with his fellowship, the Bible says God will reveal it to us if we're truly seeking after him. That's valuable. That's something we can trust in also. God will reveal. In our Christian walk, we're, we're encouraged toward growth, and I believe Paul is encouraging the Philippians here to grow as well in their faith, to, be, to have things revealed to us, to grow in. Um, and a thought came about Spanish coins in the 15th century, the 1400s. It had written on there, I didn't write down the Latin words, but it, it basically meant... Nothing further in Spain in the 1400s. Nothing further. In a sense, the Spanish civilization said, we've arrived at the end. Nothing further to be learned. Nothing further to explore. Nothing further. That's it. Well, what happened in 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue at the end of the 1400s? They had to change their coinage. And they changed it to where it said, more beyond. 
more beyond. Is that an approach we can take to our Christian life as well? In the, in the riches of, of Christ, the riches of Jesus, the riches of His Word, that there's more beyond. There's more beyond this life unto eternity. There's more beyond maybe where we're at as a Christian as well. There's opportunity for growth. Paul shared with us that it's good to pray, to be convicted every day of something else that I can be giving to Christ or gaining for Christ as we walk with Him in our life, as we grow in our life with Him. More beyond. Let us grow together. We're encouraged also, Paul shares, of the same rule and mind the same thing. Be ye followers together of me and mark them which walk so as to have for us an example. I'm sorry, that's a verse ahead. Verse 16. Whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. To be led by the Holy Spirit to unity is the calling of, of Paul here calling of Christ. We're going to have external and internal pressures. We do personally, we will as a group. It's going to happen. Do they unify us or set us at odds with each other? Will it unify? Will it cause us to be strengthened? It doesn't matter if your external internal circumstances and pressures happen, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not. The statements being made, come to Christ before you need him. Well, we, we need him from the start. But the Lord will guide us through hard times. And as a church body, as well as we face challenges, let them draw us together into unity of the heart. Care for each other. Paul says, join in following my example. This is the same Paul who also said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me so far as I follow Christ. In a sense... Don't follow my errors. He's humble enough to basically state that. Don't follow my errors. Follow me so far as I follow Christ. Christ is the perfect example. But yet, he also says to mark them as an example, those who are following Christ, to look around and those who are following Christ. What I got from that verse was, who are your heroes? We all have someone we kind of look up to, do we not? That kind of struck home with me a little bit. Am I looking up to just an athlete because he's good or just this person because they're smart? Or who are my heroes in life? Well, if I have certain heroes, who am I really following after? And who are you a hero to? Everyone looks up to somebody to some degree. And at some point, everybody is looked up to. Note those who so walk in Christ. In verse 18 and 19 share, I guess you would say, legality's opposite, license. It says, many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. License, freedom to just do whatever you want to do. If we think about the early church's battle against legalism, you almost feel a sense of righteous indignation from them, from the, the true believers, that it really grates, this is, is not to be. When you find license, there, there's weeping almost. Paul, Paul says, <clears throat> there's another chapter besides this where he was brought to tears because of it, because of seeing this. Those who basically tread underfoot the, the cross of Christ. We're called to, to live for Him 
and the freedom of his grace, but also to take up our cross and follow him. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says, For brethren, we've been called to liberty, only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. In 1 Peter 2, 15 and 17, also emphasizes that. Peter writes, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Fear God and honor the king, the, the awe of him. As was shared the thought of a young child in innocence, God is scary. No, he's not scary. God loves us. The awe of God, the value of God. Enemies of the cross, Paul calls those who don't want to take up their cross and follow after Christ. Here's the thought, that when Paul was imprisoned, he sang, but when he faced problems in the church such as this, he wept. It grieved his heart. And the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being grieved, to grieve not the Holy Spirit with our license. There's legality, there's license, there's Christ calling us away from those, not just in the center of or in the middle of them, but away from, that they're behind, they're behind us, not beside us, not off to the right or left, but behind. Christ's call is upward. We think of how the Hebrew law had its place in its time. In this early church, they, they came to a point where you basically went up a hill. I thought it may be a curve or a Y, but it's more a climb, an upward climb. And there's some that said, no, we wanted to stay down here at the bottom of the hill. Paul says, watch out for that to the early church. And us today, watch out for that as well, that we would ascend with Christ, be lifted up for him, not be an enemy of his cross either, but that we would walk toward him. Our God is above us, and he is present in our heart, not our belly. He shares here at the closing how there are those who follow after their own belly, basically selfish wants. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily all gluttons, but selfish wants, feeding the flesh, not the spirit. God is above us and present with the true believer in, in the heart, in our spirit. Our conversation, or our citizenship, where we live, where home is. Remember the pack of dogs at the beginning that had no owner and no home, even though they thought they did? Our citizenship is in heaven. Our home is there, among a part of the kingdom. The kingdom is alive today as we are a part of it. Our owner is God the Father through Christ Jesus. In conclusion... And I'm more than halfway through in saying this. <laughs> it's not just the midway point. Finally, in conclusion, law and license are the enemy of the truth of Christ. How is your Christianity and how is mine? Nothing further or more beyond. Are we seeking to grow in Him? It's been said before that if, if you're not growing, you're dying. Let's think about that. Forward and up. Focus on the upward call of Jesus. Mirrors are for glancing. It's good to look back at our past and learn from it, to not erase it or cancel it like the cancel culture wants to do today, but to let it stand and learn from it, but glance in the rearview mirror and focus ahead on Christ. <clears throat> Live in the faith of the Spirit, not a dead faith of the flesh. 
And the Bible says here in verse 21, Our Lord is able to subdue all things unto Himself. We caught in stubborn, habitual sins, our own death. These things are conquered in Christ. He is our source for righteousness. He is able to subdue all things unto Himself. He is able, though we are unable. He is able. We have a citizenship or a home that is out of this world. Who am I in Christ was shared earlier this morning. Who am I in Christ? We have a citizenship that is heavenly. I'd like to close with Hebrews eleven sixteen. Hebrews 11, verse 16. This is the faith chapter. Talking of those of faith and the example that they are to us of the Old Testament to empower us in our walk with Christ. It says, I'm going to back up to verse 15. Truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. We are citizens of the heavenly king.